Welcome to another episode. My name is Clint Goodman with The Good Law Pod, and today we have Ray Harwood who is joining us. Ray, how are you today? I'm doing good, Clint. How are you? I'm doing great. Hey, thank you so much for joining us. I'm really excited to hear what, we, uh, what we're going to talk about today. Robert's Rules of Order. Ray's an expert in this space. Uh, Ray, how long have you been studying these rules? Well, my history goes way back to when I was 15, but there, there's a whole lot of space in between where I didn't have much to do with it. But I, in, in the last five years since uh, even thinking about joining my board, uh, I got involved with the uh, local units and the, the state association and the National Association of Parliamentarians. Yeah, that's great. And I understand that you are on your own board in an HOA here in Arizona too, right? Yes, I'm uh, the uh, on the board and also association president as well. Great. So you get a, a little taste of not only what it's like uh, to understand the rules, but how it could benefit community associations. Well, yeah, that that's the whole point, really, of Robert's Rules of Order. Um, uh, Henry Robert basically said, we, we ought to have rules so that meetings go smoothly and we get things done and we don't bicker so much. So uh, that's the whole purpose there, really, is to make the meetings run smoother. Fantastic. Yeah, we both talked about this a little offline, but uh, as we both know, there's nothing in Arizona law that requires homeowners associations follow these rules, but it's oftentimes a good idea. So for the listeners out there, what, what we were talking about covering today is some of the pitfalls and misunderstandings of Robert's Rules, a little bit of the history of the rules, and how the rules can, can help us in community associations with a few examples. So without any further ado, my question to you, Ray, is um, the rules have evolved. I mean, I, I've tracked them for a bit because... I'm not only licensed here in Arizona, but in Colorado, and I used to work for a firm that practiced in states that require you follow the Roberts rules. So I'm, I'm, I, I feel like I'm more familiar with them just because I've had to be, but I'm sure you've run across even HO attorneys in, here in Arizona that uh, misstate what the rules actually say. Or <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, probably, I'm guilty of it, especially because I don't know what all the changes were from September of 2020. <laughs> right, so, right. Well, it, it's kind of interesting. Obviously, um, you know, Henry Roberts, uh, you know, created these many, many years ago, um, but now they have uh, gotten into the hands of a uh, you know, a small corporation that you know, owns the copyright to it, and and some very uh, intelligent and smart guys who know a lot about Robert Rules of Order and the history and why it's there. Um, maintain it um, separately from the National Association of Parliamentarians. And the National Association of Parliamentarians really is an educational-based organization that has local units and state associations whose mission it really is to, to try and educate people, and, and we try and let people know that we're here and, and provide some training. But uh, you're right. Uh, there, there was a new edition of Robert's Rules of Order that came out in September of 2020, um, so it is referred to as Robert's Rules of Order, Newly Revised Edition 12. Tell us a little bit about Revised Edition 12. What's the difference? What are some of the main differences that maybe a, a board that is uh, for a community association should be aware of? Well, 
the, the differences that are in there that are major really do relate to electronic meetings more than anything else. There's additional information in there around conducting electronic meetings and uh, the, the parliamentarians take a little bit stricter view of whether you can or cannot have an electronic meeting depending on whether it's permitted in your bylaws or not. And I know that um, many associations whose bylaws may not specifically allow for an electronic meeting have done it anyway. And, and really from a legal perspective, um, you need to meet. <laughs> whether your bylaws say you can or not, you, you need to meet. And uh, in, in some cases, I think Robert's Rules of Order has, has made that much more um, you know, legitimized, if, if that's a good term. Um, some of the other subtle details are a couple of minor changes in how things are put in the um, meeting minutes. A uh, couple of things about handling of meeting motions. And, and those are really, there's some minor subtle differences that in my view, sort of the average uh, parliamentary literate person doesn't necessarily need to get down in those levels of details. The, the parliamentary experts know those things, but the average uh, homeowner, the, the, the changes that are there, in, in my opinion, aren't, don't really affect them very much. Very interesting. Are there any other uh, key points that have changed that we should be aware of? Uh, you, you know, the, 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 the one that I was trying to think of just a moment escaped me. Uh, hopefully, I'll remember it here before we get done. No problem. So, you know, as, as an HOA attorney here uh, under Arizona law, there's a couple of points that I wanted to cover with you. First of all, anytime a client asks me, hey, how do we run a meeting, a board meeting, um, I'll, I'll admit, Robert's Rules is in the back of my mind, if, I really rarely think about it unless the bylaws or the articles or other governing documents require us to follow them. Right. So like most other HO attorneys, when I talk to my client, I say, look, when, you, when it comes to running a meeting, according to the open meeting law, you have a motion, a board member makes a motion to adopt whatever, uh, whatever the decision is going to be, they make a motion. That motion has to be seconded in order for there to be board discussion on it. If there's no second, the motion dies, and you move on to the next item on the agenda. But if it's seconded, you have discussion among the board. Homeowners aren't part of that discussion yet, but you Correct. just have discussion among the board. And then after the board is done discussing the pending motion, uh, under the open meeting law, you have to turn to the homeowners that are in attendance for comment period. Everyone has the opportunity as the homeowner then to comment on the pending motion. Um, and under the law, you know, it says that the board shall allow for people to argue for and against each side. But the bottom line here is that uh, the board has to allow homeowner comment period before they make a formal vote. And then after the comment period is done, the board votes on that motion. Um, right. In that process, do you hear anything in that process that might conflict or otherwise uh, not necessarily fit within the confines of Robert's Rules? Um, not really. Uh, there's nothing in Robert's Rules that, that really mentions allowing members outside of sort of the, the body who's assembled there to, to comment. But the other thing that we, we do say is you know, if your state law says something, you have to follow your state law. So 
certainly uh, the, the open meeting law requirement for that is um, you know definitely important in my view. And and the year that I attended the board meetings when I first moved to Rio Crossing, uh, before I got on the board, I I never missed a board meeting. I was at every one of them, and I guarantee you. You know, some of the people on the board at that time really hated it when I raised my hand when it was time to, to, to make the homeowner comment because I, I was very involved in you know, following what was going on and, and giving them my opinion. The, the one thing that I will say um, that Robert's Rules um, allows for that many people don't actually know, that there is what they call the small board rules, which are actually relaxed a little bit from the very formal rules that you might see for example, in a legislature or in a very large uh, organization with a large board uh, and, a, and a, let's say, a municipal um, you know, governing body or something like that. And, and so in those small governing rules, they even say, you know, if, if there's just three of you in a room and someone says, hey, I think we ought to, and nobody objects, you don't necessarily have to have a second in order to, to move forward on that. But certainly, um, you know, most organizations don't get too informal because then you can kind of lose your way in terms of keeping the meeting succinct and on point. So uh, we, we typically do it at my association, um, you know, re require a second before we continue to, to discuss an item. That's great information and great news. Um, I wanted to turn to kind of a burn the attorney segment for a second here. I'm sure that <laughs> you've sat through meetings or you've heard attorneys either in their written materials online or whatever. They say something that's just not correct. Uh, do you have right. any examples? I think one was the corn <laughs> issue that I heard. It, it, it is. I, I was going to say that this was the whole reason you and I got together was I wrote to you after one of uh, – a comment that you made at a uh, training session. And uh, I, I think that the comment was, you know, if there's no quorum, there's no meeting, which is not true according to Robert's Rules of Order. And, and you know, I certainly won't read the entire, you know, four paragraphs of, of Robert's Rules of Order, but it's very clear in, in this one sentence that I will read to you. It says that if a quorum fails to appear at a regular or properly called meeting, the inability to tra transact business, which that's what's not permitted if you don't have a quorum. You can't transact business. But the inability to transact business does not detract from the fact that the society's rules requiring the meeting to be held were complied with and the meeting was convened even though it had to adjourn immediately. So what I do at, at my association, in fact, our last annual meeting, we had no quorum. But I drafted up a set of minutes that said the president called the meeting to order at this time. We took a tally of how many people were there. Uh, we did not have the appropriate quorum. Um, there are a couple of things that you can do if you don't have a quorum. And one of those is decide whether or not you want to hold an adjourned meeting, in other words, a continued meeting. Uh, let's say you're having your annual association on a Thursday evening and you're, you're lacking two or three people for, for a quorum. You need, let's say, 35 in our case. Um, you say, well, how about we meet Saturday at the park at 10 a.m., and let's see if we can get, you know, an entire quorum there. And so you can, you know, the, the group that's there can make the decision to hold that adjourned meeting uh, later which is really considered a part of the same meeting. And if you have a quorum at that meeting, you can conduct business. 
But if you don't have a quorum then, you make the decision, okay, well, we tried, but it's just not going to work. And then you put that in your minutes that you tried to have an adjourned meeting, have a quorum, and it, it failed. And then you've got documentation five years later, someone wants to sue you for not having annual meetings regularly. You can go, well, we had one. Here's the meeting minutes, and they were approved. And that's another whole topic of how do you get the minutes approved. Um, but you have it in the corporate record that we had a meeting and there was no quorum, so we couldn't, couldn't try to transact any business. Well, you raised an, a great point because, you know, from day one of when I got out of law school and, and joined the firm, and we never really said anything other than just, yeah, no quorum, no meeting. And when I right. say we, I say attorneys, not just at my firm, but every firm that I ever um, – because I'll, I'll, Obviously, HOA law, we're kind of a small, close-knit group, right? Right. So all the HOA attorneys I, I know and other firms, we all just say no quorum, no meeting. You hear it from managers all the time. It's kind of just like a coined term that our industry uses. And I, when I got your email, I thought this is a very important point because in my mind, when I say no quorum, no meeting, I, I am thinking exactly what you just said, well, that you just can't transact business. There's not a meeting to right. transact business. So I think it's a very important point, and I'm glad that you raised it with me. And that's obviously what, the, the, what led to this podcast, because I wanted everybody to understand that we, we really need to change our terminology to say, look, right. there's no quorum, there's a meeting, but you just can't transact business. Right. As, as, as I say with my, with my son, you, words matter. And so when you say no quorum, no meeting, people hear that and they go, Oh, well, I don't have to do any minutes or anything like that. No, you still re need to document the fact that you attempted to have the meeting and you did, in fact, have the meeting, but because of no quorum, you couldn't transact any business. Yeah, it's a great point. And so it kind of goes into what a, a few of the things that uh, in the, for example, the Nonprofit Corporation Act. So. In the Nonprofit right. Corporation Act, Title 10, uh, so section, Title 103805, ARS 103805, subsection E says this, despite the expiration of a director's term, a director shall continue to hold office until the director's successor is elected, designated, or appointed and qualifies until the director's resignation removal, until there's a decrease in number of directors. So, the reason why I bring this up is because of, of the obvious situation in the annual meetings we've been talking about where you don't have quorum to elect another director. Um, a manager, when they, when they see that there's no quorum because they've always heard no quorum, no meeting, they're like, oh, sorry, we don't have quorum. Uh, there's no meeting today. Well, actually, there is the meeting. We just can't elect a new director. So right. the director, even if their term is up, Technically, they continue to serve as an a as a interim director in their position until their successor is either elected or appointed, or otherwise, it's that position filled. Um, right. You know, we we see that a lot here too. Where I know a lot of my clients always ask me, "Well, quorum wasn't met. Um, we haven't had quorum for like ten years. I've been right. on my board for for twelve. The the first two years was when I was actually elected by the members. <laughs> and so I'm technically 
and been on my board for a whole decade and never had quorum. Am I still am I still able to transact business as a cor- as a board member with the board? Right. And right. So. Well, and and then the yeah. other thing that, that's important there is that you know what what some people, especially homeowners who've not been on the board, then go well. You know, Sally just resigned. She turned in her resignation. Now what are you going to do? Well, the board typically has something in the bylaws that says that the board is permitted to fill vacancies in between elections. And so the fact that you may not have had an actual election because of lack of quorum for several years, the current in-place board is still able to continue to act as a board might. And if there's a vacancy on the board and your bylaws allow it, the board basically um, elects or appoints someone to take the, the place of someone who's resigned. That's a great point, because that happens a lot, right, when you have these holdover yeah. directors. Um, and I, I would point out, too, that most of these bylaw provisions say that the remaining board that is that, that convenes to elect the successor or appoint, not elect, sorry, but right. to appoint, um, that Oftentimes, the bylaw provision says even if there isn't quorum of the board at that point, because let's say it's a five-person board, two people resign, so you only have three left, and only two show. Let's say three people resign, so you only have two left. Technically, you wouldn't have quorum, right? But the bylaw provision says even if there's not quorum of that five-person board, you can still appoint the successors. It's very interesting. Um, I've certainly never directly run into this case, but I've heard of this a couple of times in Arizona where a complete board just all resigns. We've we've had enough of this. We quit. (laughs) Then what do you do? And and that, uh, you know, that's when you call, when someone calls the lawyers. Um, Most uh, organizations have some mechanism then to call special meeting of members, and uh, I know that I've heard that in some cases where you attempt to have a quorum of a special meeting of members to elect some uh, you know, new directors, and if you don't have a quorum, if you can go to a judge and say, look, we've tried to do this, a judge can actually lower the quorum requirement for your next meeting so that, you know, okay, I, I know you really need 35 people and you only had 20, I'm going to set, you know, a, a 20 limit. If you can get 20 people together again, you can actually move forward with it. So you know, that's the point where NHOA uh, members need to go to an attorney and, and have some assistance in making that happen through the civil courts. Yeah, so if if the court is involved to lower a quorum, uh, are you referring to the Robert Rules of Order provisions that allow a judge to reduce quorum? Uh, no, I think that's actually in Title Ten somewhere. That if if uh, a, a, a quorum's not able to be met, a, a judge can be approached to to make that uh, the the actual legal ramifications. I'm no attorney, <laughs> but I, I I think it's more of a uh, it's a legal issue, not a Robert's Rules issue. Yeah, I think you're referring to ten thirty eight twenty four and ten thirty seven twenty two, but. Um, Switching gears for a second, it, that, yeah. this happens occasionally. I've seen that where an entire board resigns, and they try to hold a special meeting to get a new board in place. Uh, they don't get quorum, and so nobody is there to run the meeting. I've actually had uh, – this didn't happen to me, but I had um, 
a friend of mine, another firm, pursue that route to go to a judge to reduce quorum. And a homeowner then turned around and sued, saying that there was no authority for the action to be filed in the first place because the board didn't approve it. <laughs> <laughs> hmm, that's interesting. But, yeah, the chicken and the egg dismissed. theory in, in legal terms. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it was dismissed pretty quickly because you, you still have, a, if it's a professionally managed community, you still have a professional management company that was is their contractual agent. And then you also have uh, some of the other authority that allows it to happen. So otherwise, right. you're right, it is right. a chicken and the egg problem. So, yeah. All right, so here's another question I've got for you, Ray. Yeah. Um, one of my friends who I used to, who's a, a partner with me at my prior law firm, he is a resident of Portland, Oregon, and he's a parliamentarian. He loves Robert's Rules of Order. He's, he's basically the resident expert for their firm on all Robert's Rules of Order. Um, he has a few provisions he just flat out does not like. Are you the same? Do you, do you think that any of the provisions in Robert's Rules just don't make sense for Arizona? Um, well, certainly, you know, we, we talked a little bit earlier about the history of Robert's Rules of Order, and I think um, you know, the, the original version was something like 70 pages, the one that he published. And, you know, unfortunately, the current edition is now 800 pages. Um, but it includes a lot of things like conventions and a lot of detail on bylaws and a lot of detail that, that, that's in there that really does not apply to the average HOA at all. Um, so the, the reality is if, if you kind of compress the book down into just the, the, the basic pieces of, you know, he, here's how we do motions and here how we do amendments. And if we're not going to vote on this thing today, but we have a motion, then we can postpone it to a future date. Or, you know, there's a variety of things we can do. All of those basic structural things really do apply. And I don't know, I, 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 in my parliamentarian group meetings, those are some of the most interesting parliamentary processes I've ever been involved in because people use parliamentary process in one of two ways. They either use it to get stuff done or they use it to get in the way of things. And it's just sort of amazing to me how, how many people in the actual parliamentary groups, I think they're just practicing, but they, they, they go, no, 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 we're going we're gonna to kill this because I don't like it. Um, I use in my HOA, and I have talked to several other HOA leaders, and I said, look, someone needs to understand enough of the rules so that you can get things done. Uh, if, if someone wants to get in the way of things, there are a lot of little details in Robert's Rules. You can reconsider a motion. Uh, you can, you know, someone who voted for it can move to reconsider the motion before the end of the meeting. And if then the meeting is adjourned before you reconsider it during that meeting, even if something was approved, if there's a motion to reconsider and it's entered in the minutes as it's supposed to be, the action has to stay on hold until the next meeting. So you can approve um, the, the, the approval of a, of a contract, but someone who voted for it can say, I reject, you know, want to re, you know, I, I move that we reconsider the motion, and there's a second to that. And someone pops up and goes, gosh, you know, we were all going to go to the golf course here in five minutes. I don't think we're going to get to that today. Well, then I want to reconsider and enter it on the minutes. 
and the secretary puts it in the minutes, and that contract has to be put on hold until the next meeting. That to me, you know, very few people will use that technique, um, and, and to me, in those organizations that I've heard that have used that sort of a technique, it just screws up everything, and you know, so, so those sorts of things I, I recommend that people not use, and there, there are a couple of those that, that just, you know, just, just, just don't go there. You use things to get things done, and if it's not right, then don't approve it. It's a great point. I uh, really appreciate you bringing that up. In fact, as you were talking to us about that point, it led me to another question that has constantly come up uh, with yeah. uh, board. And this is in more in the context of some of our self-managed clients and self-managed boards where they don't right. have the courtesy, the ability to actually have a professional management company tell them what is right and what's wrong. And that is uh, minutes looking more like transcripts than uh, just a record of corporate action. And what I mean by that is right. Right. Sally, say, Sally says that the yellow fence and blah, 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 for paragraphs at a time. And then Joe pipes up and says that he loves cupcakes and here's why. And it right. gets into a complete transcript <laughs> of everything that's said, including all the reasons why each board member votes a certain way or for a board meeting or whatever it might be. Right. And I always cringe when I see those. How about you? <laughs> Me too. Me too. Um, there are a couple of things that actually Robert's rules, um, I, I think I've heard some discussion about one thing that's currently still in Robert's rules that uh, several of us who had some discussions, and I've had some discussions with some leading parliamentarians, and we sort of agree, for example, that you should not really even put in your meeting minutes who made the motion. You know, just what was the motion that was approved? And, and if you need to put in something about some amendments or whatever because you think it was important, great. But the reality is all you really need to say is after some discussion, a vote was taken, and the organization moved to hire vendor XYZ to become the contractor for the landscaping at this amount of money starting on April the 15th. And that's all you really need. Um, do, do you say that you know Fred made the motion? Well, what if Fred made the motion that you hire XYZ and not ABC, but someone then amended it to be ABC instead of XYZ? And what if one group's uh, you know, monthly fee was $5,000 and the other one was $6,000. Well, now it's been amended. You can't say that Fred made that motion because it's been amended yeah. before you get all there. And, and then that's why people get into the notion, well, now I have to put all the amendments in the, in the minutes. And so my approach is put the decisions in that were made. Um, if there were certain reports that were given by people, you basically say that the, the president gave his report. If there was any motion that came out of that, you include that motion, that the motion then, uh, the report then included a motion to do this, which was then seconded by someone and so forth. Um, Robert's Rules of Order has very specific uh, details then of what goes into the meeting minutes. And they do allude to the fact that if you want to have a more comprehensive document, Many organizations have what they call the proceedings of a meeting, which then have more detail. And, and a lot of government organizations do that, like they 
have the complete roll call of everyone who voted for and against a measure. And my own board initially when I got on there, they, they, they wanted to put in you know, who voted you know, for and who voted against. And I was like, it does not matter. Well, people want to know. Well, if people want to know they can come to the meeting, what matters is the motion passed. And, and, and you, you know your Title X says, you know, once the directors have voted to do something, it's the decision of everyone on the board. And, and, and everyone on the board is obligated to follow it. So who, who made the motion and how it got amended and who voted for it and all that stuff, from my perspective, doesn't belong in the minutes. Yeah, I agree. I think really at the very top is the date, time, and those board members in attendance so that you know there's quorum has been established, right? And then yes. Yes. the devil is definitely in the details. And I can't tell you how many times litigation occurs when it would have otherwise been avoided if it wasn't a transcript, you know. So right. thank you right. very much for that comment. I'm, I'm glad to see that Robert's rules and most of what we as Arizona attorneys say is, is kind of uh, one and the same when it comes to the details in minutes. Here's the last yeah. question I had for you. As far as I know a lot of listeners and my client base and others, uh, other board members are constantly saying, okay, uh, you know, you, you're the expert on this stuff, but where do I go to find this stuff so I don't have to reach out to an attorney every time? Do you, are you aware of any great resources that board members can turn to to learn a bit, a bit, little bit more about conducting meetings and following Robert's rules if their bylaws require it? Well, throughout the United States, um, each state has its own state association of parliamentarians. Uh, up in the New England area, they've combined a few states into one group. Um, so here in Arizona, if, if you go to az-parliamentarians.org, uh, that is the website for the State Association of Parliamentarians. And there's a little spot on there to go, you know, here's my name and my email address. Please help me with this. And our State Association president will put you in touch with someone. We do have a couple of uh, members of the State Association who are registered uh, parliamentarians and professional registered parliamentarians. And I know that several of them actually specialize in HOAs and helping HOAs um, primarily get business done, but they do you know, focus on using Robert's Rules of Order to get there. So uh, you know, in other states, I would say look for your state association of parliamentarians and uh, try to find their website and go there and ask for someone. There is typically, we call our chapters units. Uh, there's typically a unit somewhere. There's one down in there's, there's two down in Tucson, you know, one or two in Phoenix, uh, in the Phoenix area, um, one up in the Prescott area, and uh, you know, there are people there, you know, many of whom have been <laughs> around for a long time. I'm a youngster by by you know, most of their standards. Uh, they've been doing it a long time and have a lot of history, and uh, are successful from what I've you know seen in helping people get uh, get getting business done. Fantastic. Well, you've certainly been a tremendous resource for us today, and I was glad that we finally make this happen. It's been a couple of months <laughs> or a year maybe yeah. for us trying to get a good date to work for both of us. So thanks, Ray, for everything and, and joining us and giving us all the information and, and pointing out a few key pieces that we should always keep in mind. So I really appreciate it. Um, if That's anyone cool. has questions that, and they may want to reach out to you, do you have a an email address that you you have that you're available for? 
Sure, and, and it's, it's kind of interesting. I've got a website that I put together about a year ago where, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a professional, really. I'm just sort of trying to make myself available to people that have questions. And uh, one day I was having a conversation with someone, and they said, oh, you're like an HOA coach. Yeah, <laughs> uh, sort of I try to be. Uh, so if, if someone wants to send an email to me, they can send it to ray at hoacoach.com, or they can go to hoacoach.com as a, as a website and kind of take a look at some things there. I've got a couple of helpful YouTube videos and a few things. And, uh, again, I'm, you know, semi-retired and just kind of do that to really try and help people out. Fantastic. And I assume that you have that website, not only an email, but you can go to that URL, hoacoach.com. Yes. Yeah, hoacoach.com, right. Perfect. Well, that's great. Thank you so much for your help uh, and your information today. It's been fantastic. And I'll make sure to, uh, you know, if I get any follow-up questions, I'll uh, see if we can do a supplemental. So sure. We, I'd be happy to do a, another one, uh, you know, on, on some other topic. Uh, I've, I've, got, I've got opinions not only about parliamentary process, but uh, HOA board governance uh, as well. So uh, happy to chat anytime. Fantastic. Well, thanks again, Ray. Have a wonderful day. We'll talk to you later. Bye -bye. You too. Thanks.